Hello, and welcome back to another edition of EdChoice Chats. This is Mike McShane, Director of National Research at EdChoice, and this is an episode in my series, What's Up with Mike McShane, where today we are going to find out what's up with AIM Education. The conversation is actually about so much more than AIM Education. This was actually a really challenging podcast to figure out what would be the best name for it that people could search and find, because Really, what this podcast is, is what's up with Delina Wallace, who is a fantastically interesting person. And it was wonderful that she took the time. As you will find out shortly, she must be an incredibly busy person because she is involved in so many different cool and interesting things in education. She's learned a lot of interesting stuff. She's worked at this really kind of the leading edge of educational innovation in homeschooling in sort of collaborative homeschooling and in new micro schools and everything that's getting off the ground there. And we have a chance to have a really wonderful conversation about what she's learned and the interesting stuff that's happening in and around Wichita, which is where she is. The sort of background on Delina, she is a homeschooling mom of six, which she will talk about on the podcast. She manages a co-op serving 35 local homeschoolers. She also operates a hybrid micro school called Aim High. She's also the founder of the AIM Educational Collaborative, all of the stuff that we're going to talk about. If you are interested in learning more about what she does, frankly, I'm reading some of this off of the great website that AIM Education has. It's aimeducationks.com. So aimeducationks.com. She's also on Twitter at at Delina Wallace, spelled D-A-L-E-N-A-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. So at Delina Wallace on Twitter aimeducationks.com. You can see all of the cool stuff that they are doing. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Delina Wallace. Well, we have so much to talk about today. I want to hear about AIM education. I want to hear about WISE. But maybe before we talk about these interesting organizations that you're involved in, we kind of start at the beginning. How did you get involved in the work of kind of educational innovation, new school models, all this wonderful stuff that you're up to. Sure. I'm happy to talk about that. Thank you for having me on your podcast, by the way. I really appreciate it. And I love your book. It's amazing. The hybrid homeschooling book. It's you're too kind. Thank style. you. <laughs> it is just absolutely my style of schooling. So to go back a little ways, I've been a homeschooling mom for 10 years and I have six kids and, you know, things just look different. My life looks different than it did when I just was homeschooling one or two at a time. I'm homeschooling all six of them. So from grades, well, my oldest is a freshman and my youngest is in second grade. And so I have like, you know, the whole span of grade levels, the whole span of the subjects that need to be taught wanting to just offer individualized learning for each of the kids and realizing, you know what, I think I'm in over my head doing this by myself, all alone at home. So I kind of learned that about five years ago. And that's about the time when I invited a friend of mine to come over and do some homeschooling with me. And she came over, she brought her kids and we would meet in my home once a week. And pretty soon another friend found out we were doing it. It was like, hey, can I come? If you want, I'll offer, you know, this class or that class. And we're like, hey, that'd be fun. Okay, so we'll each, all three of us will be teaching a different subject and we'll be able to split the kids up, you know, according to their ages when we need to. And then there's a lot that we can learn together. So that's kind of how this journey started. 
That then developed into a co-op where I'm serving about 30 to 35 students. And just the same general idea. It's moms getting together, supporting each other. Now we have some of the grandparents of the students who are our teachers. They're retired. They're former school teachers themselves. So we feel really blessed to have that option. So that's kind of the way it started. It started out of necessity for me and realizing, you know, if I need help and some additional support, I bet some other families do too. You know, so I'm curious, you spending time in this area, just like your kind of read of the situation in the homeschooling community, what's the sort of proportion do you think of people who homeschool basically completely on their own, that they're not involved mm -hmm. in co-ops, they're not involved in meetups, they're not involved in any of these sort of things versus people that do some kind of working together with others? Is it 50-50? Do you think it's like 75-25? Do you think it's 90-10? Just right. in the sort of folks that you know, what do you think the kind of breakdown is of that? I would say with the folks that I know, it might be like an 80-20. 80% of us seem to be like outsourcing some things, you know, some classes and some subjects or sharing in the workload somehow. But I have met some really hardcore, like I know you phrase it as like a true blue homeschooler. I think of them as just the traditionalist, you know, they may even consider that I'm not homeschooling. I've had a mom tell me like, I don't consider what you're doing homeschooling. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Just because they really feel like what that means is that the mom is leading and teaching every subject to all students in your home five days a week. And that just is not appealing to me, number one, or to my children. You know, we like the variety, but there are some out there. I have met some families and I just, I'm like in awe of them too, because they have just as many kids as I do or more. And I'm like, wait, but how do you do that and keep your sanity, you know? Right. So. <laughs> For sure. No, it's really interesting to bring it up because I just, I gave a talk recently and some people were asking me questions about after they were really interested in homeschooling. and. I said, and so I'm glad that you backed me up on this one. This I was really just fishing for validation <laughs> from me here, but I sort of said, I was like, a misperception of homeschoolers is that I think a lot of people think that homeschooling is done like completely off the grid and children never mm -hmm. interact with other children and parents never interact with other parents. I'm like, that's not really the case. I mean, I hear so much about co-ops and, and sort of, as you mentioned, both sort of varying layers of formality, right? So very, right. very sort of formal arrangements between families to informal arrangements. And so that's why I'm kind of interested if you could talk about your co-op. So you said it's about 30 to 35 students. What does it look like? Like what is maybe like a typical day or a typical week look like for people who participate in the co-op? Sure. So we are in our fifth year of operation and we started early on with a full day of classes. We would do two classes in the morning. We'd have lunch together. And then we'd have another class in the afternoon. And we did that for several years and it was really fun. We would always pitch in. We did taco salads for lunch. So every family would have their item that they'd bring and we'd just kind of do this buffet. And it was really great. We loved being able to eat together and just have an extended time of fellowship. And it was about the academics. So that's something that we've valued. We value time for the moms to be able to sit and visit and just have conversation, support each other and get to know, like we're very actively involved in each other's lives. We consider that we're doing life together. 
even though we just are together, most of us only see each other the one day a week. There are some of us that also, you know, interact quite a bit more and do other activities outside of our co-op day. But then we have a time, a long time of recess after lunch where the kids get to just play, just be kids, just interact. And, you know, that word socialization that, you know, oh my goodness, boy, we have to be so intentional for that or else what would it look like? What would our kids turn out like if we didn't offer that, right? So yeah, we have plenty of opportunity for those sorts of things. And in the beginning, it was, we heavily relied on the moms to be the teachers of the classes. And as years have gone by, some of our moms have had, you know, different situations where their life situation has changed. Maybe they've had babies, maybe they've started a part-time job, maybe, you know, this or that has happened. And so we're trying to reach out in the community and try to find some other teachers to be able to offer that support and some relief from us from the teaching on those days. So now in the families that are participating in this co-op, I would be interested in understanding their kind of motivations. What drew them? Maybe first, what drew them to homeschooling? And then what drew them to participate in the co-op? Yeah, that's a great question. What I have found in our community and those that I know who are homeschooling out here in Kansas, you know, we are very family oriented and we really, we have our values. We have our faith that we want to share with our children. We want to incorporate our values, our traditions, our faith into our school. And we infuse that in every element of our children's education. And we view our children's education as much more than just the academics. You know, it's a very holistic view. And it's like, I want to help develop, you know, we talk about character training. We talk about the life skills that they need to have. We want them to develop in their ability to hold a good conversation, you know, the ability to reason and also just even in small areas of growth where we see some kids maybe need to work on like, hey. I see that you're kind of struggling with your attention, like you can't really, you know, stay in attention, stay on a task for a certain amount of time. So let's challenge you in that. Let's grow in that. So with that, there's also families that recognize like my student has a very unique interest and a passion that they want to pursue. I want to give them the time to be able to study that. And I want to allow them to kind of, I want to curate this educational experience for them so that they can pursue their interests. So I would say that that's kind of generally what I see in the motives for both homeschooling. And then when it comes to the co-op, it's just, we want a community that's going to support our values. And that's going to encourage the growth in these areas that we value as a family. And we want to expand that into a larger community because you know, that's life. We need to teach our children in life. It's more than just these four walls. You know, we have an awesome family unit. We're blessed with that. A lot of our families have a strong family unit, but there's more to life than that. We want to encourage outreach. We want to encourage just service projects and things like that in the community as well. I love that you brought up the word again, anytime I talk about homeschooling as someone who's done research on it or whatever, the word that always comes up you can set your watch to it. It's like, oh, someone asked me a question about homeschooling. It's only, oh, Q&A has started. Okay, maybe won't be the first question, maybe not the second, but by at least the third or fourth, someone's going to say the S word, socialization, <laughs> right? I just get it, right. I get it every time. And again, 
there's a sort of funny flip side to it because many of the people that would be asking these questions will lament the state <laughs> of public schools or will lament right. the state of private schools or whatever and talk about the rough time that kids are having. And then it's like, oh, but they have to go to them to be involved in this. I was like, oh, wait, exactly. what? It doesn't right. really make sense to me. But I think it's important because I think maybe people who are listening to this, I hope, you know, a diverse group of people, maybe some people who are more skeptical towards homeschooling, maybe people who are more accepting of homeschooling or listening. But I have to imagine as someone such as yourself who is involved in this endeavor, it's not the first time that someone says that right. to you. I would love to know, like, what is your response when people say, oh, my big hang up with homeschooling is I don't think it's good for the socialization of kids or kids need to go to school in order to be socialized. Right. Well, you know, I think I told you in an email, I had this great opportunity when I was reading your book on the airplane, you know, after we left the convention there in Florida, I was flying home, I was reading your book and I was just really into it. Like truly. Okay. I'm not trying to just, <laughs> you know, whatever gain points. Your check's in the mail. It's okay. <laughs> Great. Awesome. <laughs> okay. But I was marking it up and, you know, just reading it. And there was this older gentleman next to me and he seemed really interested. He was kind of leaning over, trying to look. And I caught him glancing over and finally closed the book and he reads the cover and says hybrid homeschooling on the front. And he starts shaking his head. No. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And so he couldn't contain himself. He had to ask me the question. He said, does he say anything in there about socialization? And those were the only words he said to me the entire time we're sitting next to each other. <laughs> so I had this great opportunity. I had my phone right here in my hand and I was just able to show him, you know what? Let me just show you what our homeschooling looks like. I said, if you'll notice the title of this book is Hybrid Homeschooling. That's kind of a method that a lot of families are doing that involves a ton of interaction with others and socialization. So I just scrolled through my photo albums of our micro school, of our co-op times, of different service projects and times when we're indoors, outdoors with older people, younger people, mixed ages, you know, the whole thing. And he didn't have anything to say to that, you know, so I was like, but it turns out he had been a former public school teacher for like 30 something years. So I think there's just this perception, you know, it's just kind of ingrained in some people that this is what homeschooling must look like. And I was able to just show him visually, you know what, this is what homeschooling looks like too. So that was very, I think that was very teacherly of you, which is wonderful. But I think that it's right. I mean, I do think that the way you approach that is the perfect way of doing it, which is I do think that there are just perceptions out there of who homeschools and why they homeschool and what they do when they homeschool. And it's just sort of increasingly out of step with the reality of homeschooling. And again, even just sort of whether you like homeschooling or you don't like homeschooling, you should at least be accurate in your description of what is going on. Right. People just have a misperception of what's going on. But this is why I'm really interested in talking to you about some of these organizations that you've gotten involved in, not just with the co-op, but could you tell us a bit about WISE? So I believe that is the sure. Wichita Innovative Schools and Educators Organization. Yes, this has been such an exciting new adventure for me. So for about six or seven years, I have been working. I've been really active in the homeschooling community, supporting homeschooling moms. I've offered my home quarterly. We do coffee talks, just some time to gather the moms in the community because I know we need support. We need to share resources. We need to know that we're not alone in this. And so that's kind of been what I was active in, in the homeschooling world, and also just hosting some events where we would invite 
everyone in the area. I live in Reno County, Kansas. And so I hosted an event for the Reno County area. All of the educators who would offer services for homeschoolers, all of the sports teams, all of the speech clubs, all of the variety of homeschool co-ops, and then even some legislators, you know. So I used to just facilitate that sort of work within the homeschooling community. And then I started kind of redirecting and turning towards microschools. The minute I started learning about microschools, I loved them. And I know from my years of homeschooling and interacting with other homeschooling moms that teacher burnout, mom burnout is like a big deal. And the feeling of being kind of isolated and like, hey, I can't do this all by myself. Or I wish there was another option because unfortunately now I feel like I can only send my kids to public school and I don't want to do that. And so when I see this microschooling movement kind of taking off, I want to do everything I can to just empower these school owners and these people who are building these new school models. And so I started reaching out to some of the school founders in the Wichita area. So I live in a small town in Partridge, Kansas, and there's not a lot happening out here, my direction, not a ton, but it's a 45 minute drive to Wichita. That's doable. And when I found this vibrant community of these people who are starting like tutoring centers or offering these classes out of my home, or I'm renting a space in a church and we're doing this hybrid co-op three days a week. There's just so much diversity that's happening there. And it's been very invigorating. So I kind of transferred my efforts and my energy from just doing that with homeschool mom support to now doing that with those who are starting micro schools in the Wichita area. And now the other project that you're working with, even though there's so many of these projects, so it's another, we just added was AIM Education. How is that related to all of this? So AIM Education is what I've been doing since 2015, starting with having friends in my home and doing classes together, then going to where I facilitate these meetings and these events, then additional support for homeschoolers. So My aim with that has always been to encourage people to do their own thing, to start co-ops, to start microschools. I've never been about trying to grow our co-op. That's not the way that I want to see this movement grow. I don't think getting bigger is the answer. I think having more co-ops, having more microschools and families who are just doing something that caters to a handful of students rather than trying to build this huge organization You're going to get stuck in this where you're no longer able to offer the quality that you want. And so I just encourage this different model of keeping it small and intimate. And AIM stands for Autonomous, Innovative, and Missional. So I encourage the growth of any form of school, any form of tutoring, hybrid homeschooling, micro school, whatever. Be autonomous, be intentional. It's actually innovative and missional. And when you have a mission that's unique to the community you're serving, it makes you more effective and more powerful. Now, some people might be curious. Well, I know I certainly am. I don't even need to speak for them. When you talk about these sort of missional schools, what might be some examples of their missions? What are they trying to accomplish? Well, so for example, in ours, we value the family unit. And so when we We actually have like a aim high, it's a school policy in our parent agreement. And we talk about that we value our siblings, our family units. We value involvement in the community at large. We value 
working independently. That's something that we actually want our children to learn. And it's also crucial when you are teaching several levels of different students, they need to be able to work independently. We value them pursuing their interests. And that can look like one of my children, my own children is taking some dual credit courses in college and she's able to do that. And she's starting on her track that's individualized, personalized for her. Volunteer projects, that's something we want to make sure we have plenty of time to do, get involved in our community when we can. And I know that other families, it might be something more like, hey, we are a very musical family and our children are gifted in this and we want to pursue that. And so they can kind of gather with some other families and they have their own little community. They have their own vibe and everything. I have a friend who owns a micro school in Wichita and she's serving neurodiverse students. The majority, I mean, I really think it's up to like 90% of her students are neurodiverse. And that's where some of her kids, she was a former homeschooling mom. She had some neurodiverse students of her own. And in that process, she's kind of gained a following in a community because she's researched so much and learned about the different methods of learning that these kids need to have. And so that's kind of her little community. So something you said that I want to come back to that I think is so interestingly countercultural, or at least in a lot of the culture of education and education reform. This idea that getting bigger isn't the answer, because it seems like in so much of education, even in like the traditional public schooling system, there's a move to like get bigger. You know, we have all these little tiny school districts. Let's merge them together or let's merge schools together. So we have like one big high school and one big middle oh, school. Yeah. And we can do all that. And then even in the kind of education reform sector where it was sort of like, oh, you're a charter school network or something. Well, if you only operate one charter school you're almost thought of as like a failure. It's like, well, unless you can make five or 10 or 100 of these all across the country, you're not really that impressive. You're not necessarily that worthy of like support. Mm, yeah. And I think in some places we see it in private schooling sectors and others, this big push for scale, more, bigger, mm, yes. more, bigger, more, bigger. But your thought of like, I don't want this co-op to get any bigger, like 30 to 35 kids is the right size. Yeah. Let's have a bunch of right. small things as opposed to one big thing. Can you talk about like, how did you come to that? Like, how did you learn that lesson? How did you come to that opinion that bigger is not necessarily better? Sure. A couple of different things there. First of all, to your point about these public schools that are consolidating, they're all centralized. You know, I live out in a rural area and within a 20 minute drive, 20 minute radius around where I'm at, there are at least five former community schools that have been shut down. These are vacant school buildings and all of these small surrounding towns and these rural communities that used to be a thriving school that was very family oriented, very community driven. And it was the hub of their community, the hub of their neighborhood or whatever. And so over the past, I don't know, probably 30 years, you know, these have been getting shut down and they're shipping students. I mean, I, I know that doesn't sound very nice, but they are, they're shipping students Busing. You can say sort of busing, but it's the same, it's the same thing is happening. They're right. getting sent somewhere else. Right. I know of a family whose kindergartner was waking up to get on the bus by like 5.30 or 6 just to oh. ride the bus for almost two hours to get to school. And so that just doesn't seem right to me. And it doesn't seem right to a lot of that people. It doesn't seem like a recipe for right. success to you. Right, right. And I think people realize that too. 
people really do value small, intimate settings for learning. There's more opportunity for discussion, real genuine connection. And one thing that's beautiful about like a mixed age micro school, for example, a teacher will be teaching students of all grade levels. And this same teacher will stay with the student throughout their entire schooling experience. So for example, with our families and our co-op, we started five years ago. Some of our older students that are now turning to be freshmen, they were third graders, you know, and they have been doing this together in an intimate setting with the same teachers who've really known them. And these kids are growing up with the same teacher or the same community. A friend of mine, she's a homeschooling mom. She's a former school teacher, and she's kind of had this dream of being involved in forming a school someday, but not knowing what it would look like. She owns a old church building. It's her home, and it's amazing. And so her school operates out of this old sanctuary of this church that's renovated. It's beautiful. It's warm. She has natural lighting. You know, a fireplace is on. Classical music is playing. We've got art hung up around here. Nature is just infused in the whole experience. And she's got seven students other than her two. So it's a nine student total in her school. And I walk in there and I'm like, I just want to sit here. I just want to be in this place. So I've just encouraged her like, this is exactly what I want. If my kids aren't at home with me learning today, I want them here in your home with their friends in this environment. So now let's say, because there may very well be some policymakers listening to this podcast, state legislators, local authorities, maybe people who work for a governor's office or a state department of education. I'd be interested. What do you think they need to know about this sort of emerging field of new school models? They need to know that it's working. They need to know that it's a viable option for a lot of families. They need to know that it meets the needs of some students in a far better way than what a large, you know, huge school is going to do. It's something that families are looking for. They need to have these options. They need to have, so if we want to go to school choice policies, they need to have the ability to choose the fit for their students. And I think these policymakers need to also know that these opportunities are already there. Like there are educators who are willing to step in there and fill this gap. If they feel like, what well, there's nothing out there that what's going to happen, where are these kids going to go? I think they need to come to Wichita, Kansas, and they need to see this vibrant community. We have represented in our group, at least 20 micro schools that are just in the area. And some of them are tutoring centers or whatever. They have kind of emerged into bigger educational service provider than what they used to be. Maybe they started as like after school programs and they grew to full day programs. And then they were just one day a week and they grew to five days a week or they served a few students. Now they're serving 30, but there are educators out there who believe that they can better serve families and better serve students in a small setting, in a personalized environment. And it's working. I cannot think of a better place to leave it than there. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Sometimes when I have these conversations with folks, I think, 
wow, this person has probably forgotten more about educating kids than I know, than it's possible that I will ever know. And it seems like from her experience, that's what she has. I mean, I'm just blown away by folks who are able to do all of this cool and interesting stuff. So whether it was the Wichita Innovative Schools and Educators Network, whether it's the AIM Educational Collaborative, again, AIM Autonomous Innovative Missional Educational Environments, the cool stuff in homeschooling, the cool stuff in homeschooling co-ops, the cool stuff in micro-schooling, so much interesting stuff. And again, I think I'm going to keep going back to her idea that scale isn't everything, that size isn't everything. I think, as I said in the podcast, it's such a countercultural idea, both in the kind of traditional education space, but also in education reform. I cannot tell you how many meetings that I was in where someone, you know, had this really cool charter school. I, I think it was like charter schooling was particularly susceptible to this, but it was like they had this awesome single site charter school that was just like crushing it. It was amazing. And they'd present on it, they'd talk about it, and people would kind of poo-poo it. Say like, well, I mean, when you've done it 20 times, come back and talk to me. Now, notice the people who said that are never people who actually ever successfully operated a school, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, people who are outside that was like, oh, oh, that's all you need to do is just operate one amazing school and then replicate it 19 more times. Oh, that's all you need from them? Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. We can totally do that. So I think that that idea, small is okay, lots and lots of small solutions to big problems as opposed to trying to find one big solution to a big problem. I think it's just such an important corrective and such a really interesting thought-provoking idea. Even if you are ultimately not convinced that that's a solution, it's definitely something that any serious thinker in education has to wrestle with. As I said at the beginning, you can follow Delina on Twitter, D-A-L-E-N-A, -E Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, all one word. That's her Twitter handle. But you can also, it's probably the easiest, just to go to aimeducationks.com. So aimeducationks.com for the AIM Educational Collaborative. As always, I want to thank our podcast producer, Jacob Vinson, for patching this all together and making it sound good. I want to thank Delina for taking time to chat with us today and all of you for listening. As always, if you've got cool or interesting people in education who are doing cool and interesting things, please send them my way. You can always email them to me, tweet them at me. I'm at McShane on Twitter. Send them my way. And I look forward to talking to all of you again on another edition of EdChoice Chats and specifically on another episode where I answer what's up with something going on in education. Take care.